0: Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to meet together uh, in person. We thank you that you don't leave us, that you don't forsake us. We thank you for all of those that are joining us online this morning. We know that you're with them. We also know that we're in a spiritual battle. We face opposition. Would you teach us to fight? Would you remind us that the victory is yours, that the victory has already been won in Christ. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this time, and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to take you to a little bit of a dark place, a hard place as we start our service, and it's the reality that we do have a real enemy. As a believer, as the child of God, you have an enemy that wants to destroy your soul, Jesus tells us that the mission of Satan is to steal, to kill, and destroy. He hates you. He hates your marriage, if you're married. He hates your kids. He hates your grandkids. He wants to bring destruction in our lives in every way possible. He doesn't take vacation. He doesn't take sabbaticals. He's an opportunist. When things are difficult, He's going to do the full court press in our lives. But the encouragement is that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Jesus has already won the victory as he died upon the cross and rose again and we fight from a position of victory. For the children of Israel, there's momentum. There's things that are happening. God has allowed for them to begin to rebuild this wall around Jerusalem, around the temple. The enemy is Sanballat and Tobiah. The enemy is angry and the enemy starts to bring opposition. At this point in our study of Nehemiah, you may be feeling some opposition as you've been burdened by brokenness in your life and in the life of others, pressing into that brokenness in prayer, starting to take steps of faith, but now there's this opposition that comes from the enemy. James writes and says, submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. But our responsibility through God's strength and his power is we need to resist. We need to learn how to engage in this spiritual battle. What if you were in a war and you didn't realize it? You would probably be the dumbest soldier in the history of warfare, Everybody around you is like, don't you get it? We're not at Disneyland. We're not at Disney World. We're not just sitting around drinking lattes. We're in a battle. Our lives are in jeopardy. You need to wake up to the battle that you're in. And sometimes for us as believers, it's easy for us to get lulled to sleep where we don't realize that we are in a spiritual battle. So let's pick up in verse one of chapter four. But it so happened when Sam Ballot. Heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very ignorant and mocked the Jews. When Sanballat gets the news that they're rebuilding the wall, he's angry, he's furious, and begins to mock the children of Israel. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up upon it, he will break down their stone wall. The enemy loves to mock. In Sanballat, he really points to the way that Satan attacks us as well. When you step out in faith and you start to press into this restorative work that God wants to do in your life, Satan's very quick to say, who are you to think there's going to be victory? Why are you working on your marriage? Things aren't going to change. You've been in bondage to sexual sin for for so long. What makes you think that there's going to be victory? Start to have a heart for the lost and, and reach out for the lost and share the gospel and The enemy's quick to say, who are you to share the gospel? You don't know the Bible well enough. You've got your own struggles and challenges and and difficulties and maybe even if there is a little bit of momentum, it's gonna be destroyed. A fox, a mouse could come on your work and, and, and destroy it. And that is the lies of the enemy that we have to battle against and fight against as we step into the work of the Lord. Realize that that doesn't come from the Lord. How do they respond to this mockery? In verse four, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Respond in prayer. Nehemiah, this whole movement that takes place, is one of prayer. It's birthed in prayer, it's sustained in prayer, it's continued in prayer. It's easy for us to think about prayer as our last resort, but that's not how Nehemiah sees prayer. He understands that he has access to the creator of the universe, the God who loves him. We have a direct line to someone who can do something about the opposition that we're in. Do you feel some spiritual opposition? Is there some attack that's taking place in your life? How do you resist? The first way is through prayer. Give that opposition over to the Lord. God, there's some tension that's taking place in my marriage. I know we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Father, would, would you help us? There's some opposition that I'm experiencing at the workplace. God, I give that over to you. There's some challenges that my kids are, are walking through. Give it over to the Lord in prayer. That's what Nehemiah does here. He, he takes the threats. He takes the, the mockery that's being thrown to them and saying, God, would you deal with this? Maybe you have a particular individual that's coming against you in an unjust way. Give it over to the Lord. Say, God, would you, would you handle this? In verse six, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. So first they pray, but secondly, they continue in faithfulness. They continue to build the wall. So we built the wall. As the enemy opposes us, he wants us to stop. He wants us to stop investing in our families. He wants us to stop looking for God to bring victory in in areas of struggle. He wants us to stop reaching out to others, loving the body, and, and loving unbelievers, And the best way to overcome the enemy is to pray and give it to the Lord, but then to continue in the things that God has called you to do. So much wisdom. It's masterful. It's beautiful. It's it's powerful. Throughout this whole book of Nehemiah, they don't stop building the wall, they don't allow discouragement to overcome them, they don't allow their personal safety to keep them from building the wall. I've got to be faithful. Sometimes life feels like this, doesn't it? Remember, these are stones that have been broken down. They're going through the rubbish, and they're having to put together this wall one stone at a time. Have you moved large stones? I don't have a lot of experience in that. It doesn't seem like a lot of fun. I remember when this sanctuary was being built out. 2007 was finished around Easter 2008. This is a cinder block building this side of the church facility. They labored one cinder block at a time. This is a huge wall right here to lay with, with cinder block. It was not an easy task to do. And this is what God's calling us to. He's calling us to faithfulness. Lord, this is what you have given me to do. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna, day after day, put one more stone down and trust you in the midst of this. A few weeks ago, I did an interview at a local radio station that they do with pastors, and they were asking questions about how pastors should respond to all of the things that are happening in our culture. And there's a lot of pressure on pastors to have answers for every nuance of craziness that's happening in our culture. And the interviewer was really suggesting, don't you think you should do more series on all of these hot topics that were taking place. And I got a little bit passionate. And I was like, I really feel called to teach the Bible. That's what I feel called to do. And I believe that the Bible has the answers for the issues that are taking place today. And it's not popular, but I don't know what else to do. Because my opinions are not very good. Just ask my wife and kids, right? (laughs) But I know the Word of God is good. I know the Word of God is true and the Word of God is powerful. And the Word of God has always had the answer to cultural issues to the point where God's truth can transform culture. So, as a church, we want to continue to build the wall by teaching the Word of God. I believe that this is a time in our lives personally and as the Church of God, let's be consistent. Let's be consistent. Let's do those things that God has called us to do. Let's keep building the wall and have the mind to work. This is where the real struggle is. For me, for you, for us, is that defeat can come in the mind. How easy it would it be to lay these stones, these bricks, and think we're never gonna finish. The enemy's gonna kill us before we're able to complete this work and they're defeated in the mind. And they realize that and say, I've got to set my mind right. i got to get my mind in this position that I've got to, to work to do. They put their minds in this place of work. In verse 7, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. So we have quite a group that's in opposition. Sanballat, Tobiah, Arabs, Ammonites, Ashdites, all upset that they're building the wall. That the gaps now have been closed in. They're at a good point in the work. Now now the, the wall's been completed all the way around to a halfway point and there's no more gaps. And this is a beautiful picture of what God does in our lives. Those gaps are those areas where we're vulnerable that have been broken down through sin, and, and God's able to shore us up, to fortify us to where there's no more gaps. In verse 8, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So, so they're joining together. They're putting together an alliance to attack Jerusalem and, note, create confusion, the enemy's going to mock, the enemy's going to attack, and the enemy's going to create confusion. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes and says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Where confusion is, there's, there's every evil thing. I believe the enemy's been working overtime the last year and a half because throughout the world, there's just a state of confusion. And once we're confused and there's not clarity, it it opens the door for Satan's destruction. In our lives personally, it's so hard when we're confused, when we don't have clarity. Jesus said, know the truth and the truth will set you free. So when there's confusion in our lives, to pause and stop and to get into God's word, get godly counsel and pray and say, Lord, I know you're not the author of confusion, You're the God of truth and you're the God of clarity and and would your word bring clarity to my heart and life? But the enemy's always gonna try to bring confusion. Once again, their response to this in verse nine, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Continuing to pray, continuing to see prayer as their greatest resource, crying out uh, to the Lord, and also being in a position where they're watchful. They're continuing in faithfulness, continuing in prayer, and they're watchful. Jesus told us, he said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. You've probably noticed when we're in a place where we're near to the Lord in prayer, near to the Lord in his word and worship, it's easier to say no to temptation. But when we're in a place where well, we're not near to the Lord in prayer. We're not near to him in his word. It's much harder to stand against temptation. So be prayerful and be watchful. Be watchful over the attack of the enemy in your life. Be watchful over how the enemy's attacking your family and the church and our community. I tend to be really slow to wake up to the spiritual battle. I look at things from a physical plane and from a practical plane try to find practical solutions and then I realize oh man there could be a spiritual battle that's taking place here so watch for it how is the enemy at work and pray against those things in verse 10 then Judah said the strength of the laborers is failing and there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall ever feel this way man I'm getting tired I'm getting weary And there's so much rubbish, there's so much mess to try to wade through. Are we gonna be able to continue in progress? And the whole tribe of of Judah is feeling this way. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So these are the threats that the enemy's giving. We're gonna sneak up on you and we're gonna kill you and you're never even gonna see it coming And it's quite a cohort that's coming together to bring this attack. In verse 12, so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and they told us 10 times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So you can see the panic that's coming from the Jews. Those that live in Jerusalem, they come and bring this before Nehemiah 10 times. This is what the enemy has said, is that everywhere we turn, the enemy is gonna be upon us. There are those seasons where we're pressed on every side. You're pressed at home. You're pressed at work. You're pressed at Costco. You're pressed at King Supers. Your car's breaking down. You're pressed at church. It's not an easy time to come at church and be with with God's people. There's just no relief everywhere that you go. It's that pressure that the enemy is, is placing upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the wall behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Nehemiah, in his wisdom, says families, you got to fight together. Put them together in families, in this place of, of belonging, and gave them weapons. Now remember, our battle is not physical, but it's spiritual. And we want to link together as families and learn how to be able to fight spiritually. So husbands and wives, if your spouse is a, is a believer, you want to link arms in prayer, on your knees, before the Lord, and be in prayer in this spiritual battle, encouraging each other in the word. If you have kids and you have grandkids, to say, look, we're going to be together in this spiritual battle and understand that we're in a spiritual battle together. If you're not blessed to have that inside of your family, we know that we're family inside the church. We're the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ and we get to link arms with other brothers and sisters in Christ to be watchful over each other, to be sharing joys and sharing struggles and to fight together spiritually. They're not alone in in this fight. He links them together as families. As we've seen this play out, the enemy trying to bring confusion, also the enemy has been trying to divide families. It's been amazing how the response to COVID virus has divided families. Husbands and wives feeling differently on how to deal with quarantine and how to deal with masks. Moms and dads, siblings, brothers and sisters, and family gatherings. And some family gatherings won't come to you unless you wear a mask. And others are saying, I'm not willing to wear a mask. And so you have families that haven't been together in a year and have really had a difficult time being in a place of unity Churches have been divided over issues of, of masks and how to respond to, to the coronavirus. And ultimately, I think the enemy's laughing. Satan's like, I've divided families over masks. I've divided churches over masks. And don't you think that the relationship is even more important than whatever decision is made? A relationship between parents and kids, or a relationship between brothers and sisters, a relationship between husbands and wives? I mean, what, what good is it if you navigate all this coronavirus, but then you don't have a marriage at the end of it? You don't have a relationship with your kids at the end of it? Churches are, are divided. We've got to be wise. Church, we, we've got to be wise and come to, to understand man, the enemy's at work, and he wants to divide families. He wants to divide churches, and so we press into the Lord, and we fight for unity in our families. We fight for each other in our families. We fight for the body of Christ, and really learn to, how to love each other with these different convictions, to love each other in our families with these different convictions, to love each other in the body of Christ in the midst of these different convictions. But God's heart is for us to fight together as families. In verse 14, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Nehemiah, in his wisdom, knows that the children of Israel are in jeopardy of being afraid. Wouldn't you? These are normal people. These are not soldiers. They're being led by a cupbearer, not a general. And they have people groups coming together to attack them. And they don't have the strength in and of themselves to have a defense. And Nehemiah is saying, Don't be afraid. And it's so important for us to not allow fear to grip our hearts. And it may come into each of our lives in different ways. But once we walk in fear, there's great torment. And God's perfect love casts out fear. What's an area of our lives this morning where fear has gotten the best of this? And to get our eyes off of the situation and to get our eyes on the Lord, Nehemiah says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. The reason that we don't have to be afraid is because God is great and God is awesome. He is the way maker. He's the creator of the universe. He's our father. He's the lover of our soul. He's sealed up eternity. He's promised to us eternal life, so, so we don't have to go through this life in a place of fear. In the midst of opposition, in the midst of that challenge, it's easy for fear to get the best of us and to put our eyes upon the Lord and say, I'm not going to respond in fear. One of the things that I love about the Psalms is David's honest about his own fear A lot of his songs are him moving from a place of fear to faith and processing his fear. Whenever I'm afraid, Lord, I will trust in you. That means David was afraid, but he didn't want to stay in that place. We're all going to have times when we're afraid, but we don't want to stay in that place. To move to a place of trust. And fight for your brethren, your houses, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. He calls them to fight, to fight for their sons, for their daughters, their wives, and for their houses. And God has called us to fight spiritually as well. We don't take up a physical sword, but we take up the spiritual weapons that God has given to us. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter six, verse 10? Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Because I think many of us would acknowledge that God has called us to fight in the spiritual arena, but we don't know how. And specifically, God gives us his armor to be able to engage in this spiritual battle. So this is Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, so we don't do this in our own strength. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When we think of putting on the armor, what's the purpose of putting on armor? Is it to look cool? It's to use it. So as we put on the spiritual armor, we use it in this spiritual battle. Paul spent much time as a Roman prisoner looking at Roman guards. So think of Roman armor, and he uses this as an illustration of the spiritual armor that God's given to us. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principality, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and their heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Do you feel like we're living in an evil day? Apparently, Paul felt the same way. And he said, for us to stand in this evil day, having done all to stand, therefore stand, having girded your waist with truth. The Roman soldiers would have this belt. The belt would then be the foundation for so much of their armor. Much like our police officers have some pretty cool belts, some pretty sturdy belts that then other weapons are able to hang off of. The belt of truth for us is the word of God. That's the foundation for us when it comes to the armor of God. We want the the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ. It's Christ's righteousness. The breastplate would guard the vital organs, much like the bulletproof vest. And what guards our heart, and everything flows out of the heart, all issues flow out of the heart, is the righteousness of Christ. I know that I'm saved by God's grace. I know that I'm forgiven by the Lord and I'm holding on to his righteousness. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's a little bit of preparation in putting your shoes on. Sometimes in the midst of uh, raising four kids when they were younger, the hardest thing of the day was finding everybody's shoes. When we're all six going uh, somewhere, right? Right? And we're to take the time to prepare our day with our gospel shoes. That everywhere I step today, I'm in the gospel. That brings a lot of peace. I know I'm saved. I know I'm the child of God. I know I'm going home to be with the Lord. It also brings purpose. Every step that I take, I want it to be in the gospel. Every step I take, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit that I could be a testimony of the gospel, the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's a priority here in verse 16, above all taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Why the priority here? Because the faith in the Lord and trust in the Lord protects us from those fiery darts of the enemy. If Satan sends those our way to trust that God's in control, that God has provided the victory, that he hasn't left us or forsaken us and choosing to to trust him. The word of God is what builds up our faith and and trusting him. If you're in that trial, you're in that opposition, raise that shield of faith and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The battle's won and lost in the mind. Roman soldiers had some pretty cool helmets that they would wear. Our helmet is salvation. Our thoughts being filtered through salvation. That I'm saved, that I'm the child of God, that God desires to bring others into salvation. We have to take our thoughts captive. We have to use this helmet of salvation as the filter for our thoughts. Only offensive weapon, sword of the spirit. And the sword of the spirit is the exacting word of God for that particular struggle or situation. Jesus is the example of this in Matthew chapter four. He's tempted in the wilderness and he uses the word of God. He uses the sword of the spirit for the temptation that's coming at him. Jesus, why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread? Panera bread, here you go. Jesus is fasting. The spirit had called him to fast. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, quoting out of the Old Testament. Use the sword of the Spirit. So we may be struggling with anger or bitterness or lust or fear. We use the word of God. We memorize a few verses, not books of the Bible, not that there's anything wrong with that. I've never been able to pull that off. But small verses that have to do with particular situations or struggles, get them in your heart and say them out loud in those moments of struggle, and that's that offensive weapon against the enemy. And we're left with, in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Praying always. Prayer is the oil that brings the armor of God together. It's the Vitamix, if you will, or you you put it all in the Vitamix and you you turn it on. This is how we use the armor of God is through prayer. Lord, I'm really struggling in my thoughts today. Would you help my thoughts go through the helmet of salvation? Jesus, would you help me know the verses that I'm gonna need in the midst of, of this battle? Being in fellowship with God around the armor of God as we engage in this battle. But what's the challenge? Submit to God resist the enemy and he'll flee. If we resist through God's power, through the weapons that he's given, eventually the enemy will flee. Let's go back to Nehemiah verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So once the enemy hears that they know of the plot, they give up. It is that moment where the enemy flees in this victory, they don't lose sight of what God's called them to do. They continue building the wall. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held spears, the shields, the bows, and the and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Israel. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside him. So as they're working, as they're being faithful, they're holding onto their swords. A beautiful picture for us, as hopefully we're serving the Lord in faithfulness, hold on to your sword. Get well acquainted with your sword. Whether it's a Bible app, or it's old school, Genesis to Revelation, we need it in our lives. We need to know it, read it, live it. We're holding on to the sword as we're continuing in faithfulness. Then there's this trumpet. What's this whole deal with the trumpet? Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us, our God will fight for us. As the wall gets built, they get separated from each other, because the work is so extensive, they're, they're vulnerable. So Nehemiah gives them a trumpet and says, "If you're being attacked at this particular position of the wall, then I want you to blow the trumpet. Everybody stops their work and rushes to that one place. As they're going, they're saying, "God is going to fight for us." This is a key part of resisting the enemy, is we don't do it alone. When you're in that spiritual battle and you're being attacked, blow that trumpet to other believers and allow them to come and to fight with you. Maybe there was a few rogue individuals on the wall that the enemy comes and they go, I got this, I got my concealed carry, I'm prepared. You're messing with the wrong person, right? Bam, I got you, instead of blowing the trumpet. And sometimes our tendency is like, man, I'm so strong in the Lord, I can do this on my own. I'm gonna continue to fight this. I'm not gonna share with my spouse. I'm I'm not gonna share with brothers and sisters in Christ. And for some reason, the hardest thing to do is to sound the trumpet. It's hard for me, it's hard for you. We wanna act like that we've got it all together with other believers. Hey, call me if you need something. It's easier to be on the giving end than the receiving end. We end our services in prayer. We're gonna do it in a few minutes. And if you're under spiritual attack, come and receive prayer. It's a really important part of our service, not just a warm up and get out of here, right? Do you have two or three believers in your life that you can text, that you can call, and say, hey, would you pray for me? Great victory is done in our lives when we sound this trumpet to allow others to rally around us in prayer and support. So we end out the chapter, so so we labored in the work. Half of the men held spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. Well, praise the Lord for that. So they didn't wash the clothes. It's like, dude, you stinketh, you know, because you're working next to him on the wall. But this shows tremendous focus. Some of them didn't live in Jerusalem, but chose to sleep in Jerusalem to be on watch, and then working by day. They worked so hard that they only stopped occasionally to wash their clothes. So church, the exhortation from God's word this morning is submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. May we wake up to this spiritual battle, see how great and awesome God is. Don't do it alone, sound the trumpet, allow others to rally around you, and God will be faithful to bring the victory.